Hey, hey, all you Arizona lovers, this is the Finding Arizona podcast, episode number 262. I'm your host, Jose. Thank you so much for listening. Today's guest is all the way from Digit Designs. Yes, for those of you who know what Digit Gardens is, is a local wholesale garden here in the Valley, and it is very good at what they do. And now they are transitioning into design work. So for those of you who want to refresh up your home uh, landscape, this is the place to do it. They have all the great planting, everything that you need as a homeowner and so i encourage you guys to go check these out so the two guests coming in through our doors is ryan the original owner of digit gardens and brian harris who is the lead designer behind digit designs so i hope you enjoy this episode i know i did it was a lot of fun and i know them personally so they're great guys we are going to jump into a little bit of our business you can hear every episode of finding arizona podcast at our website findingarizonapodcast.com we make it easy for you guys to connect with us so to go do so at finding arizona podcast under all our social media tell us who you want in next and we will set it up for you guys and uh, another place where you can go to to shout out an event you can go to finding arizona podcast at gmail.com let us know who or what you want in the podcast on top of which if you have an event that you want to shout out we will set you up with a shout out uh, so that being said it is my favorite time my favorite part of the intro and my favorite time to do this episode uh, is our community cork board you can send again a line over at fighting arizona podcast at gmail.com and we will set you up with a shout out like the following events first up is the coronado public market taking place today from 8 a.m to 12 p.m you can go over to 1222 east virginia avenue and you will be um, pleasantly surprised with the neighborhood association uh, putting on a public market in the local coronado neighborhood Next up, the pop-up dog park and dog adoption taking place over at the, or taking uh, in place over at the Uptown Farmer's Market and uh, is hosted by the Barking Lot Phoenix. And it is taking place today from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Again, over at the Uptown Farmer's Market. That is 5757 North Central Avenue. Last but not least, and it's always for the dogs. Dog Days at the Garden, my favorite place to go to, the Desert Botanical Gardens, is hosting a dog day afternoon for your local four-legged friend, taking place today from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. So for those of you listening early in the morning to our episodes, we hope that you guys are enjoying your dog time and dog love. That is the end of our community cork board. I am very excited to share with you guys this episode. But before I go, ladies and gentlemen, please go check out our blog. Please go check out our newsletter. The blog is a little bit more the official side of what's going on. Or actually, the newsletter is more official side of what's going on. And the blog is a little bit more of the personal touch. Brittany and I are expecting our first child. And in the latest blog posts, you will learn what we are doing to help keep our family safe and updated with what's going on in the, you know, building of the baby room what's going on with uh, Brittany's uh, pregnancy and the timeline, what we're doing. So hope that you guys enjoyed all the good content that we're providing you. If you want to see something or hear something, please remember to let us know and I will see you on the next episode. Welcome back, everybody, to the Finding Arizona podcast. I'm your host, Jose. As always, we have special guests that come in every week, and today is no different. I'm very excited to have one of these guys returning back to us and another guy just joining us for the very first time. Ladies and gentlemen, the Digit Design team uh, behind Digit Design is Ryan uh, Jarrell, as uh, most of you remember, and welcoming for the first time, I want to introduce Brian. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. Good to be here. Good, good to have you. Good to have Ryan back. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys the very first question. We'll kick it off with just, you know, COVID's going around and everything that's been happening. And it's today is November 6th, right after the election. Um, how are you guys doing? How are you guys handling everything and everything that's been going around just like COVID related? And how are you guys taking it all in? I mean, I think we've just been... We've been partying with plants 
I mean, I think a lot of residents are realizing the bleakness of their landscape, you know, because of spending more time at home and staring out their windows and understanding that landscape design and and garden implementation is kind of a crucial factor in your well-being. Yeah, I I have just been noticing a lot of people investing in their homes, investing in, you know, things around the house and just kind of reinvesting in themselves. Um, a lot more than usual lately. So that's one thing that I've taken notice. Is that something that you've noticed too, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, I think we, um, fortunately for us, the way that we approach, um, you know, land land design and, you know, like our, as a company, kind of our ethos, like it's really actually become perfect timing um, to have something like this occur where we've been saying all along, like, landscaping to us is like the design is not just about going in and and dictating things and saying like, this is how we would do it. It's really like working with the client. What are they, what are they trying to get out of it? And then at the same time, really trying to reinforce like why we have choose the plant palette we choose, why we implement things a certain way. And it really goes back to, and I say it to clients all the time, like you you live in this space, you you know, what are we going to, how are you, you need to enjoy it. And, and really like understanding how positive all that is. Um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of times I think that gets lost with, especially landscape design, it, it becomes almost an afterthought of, you know, people just, a design gets done and they just pull in their driveway and they bypass it, you know, mm-hmm. they maybe look out their back window, but right now I think it's become more about people like they're at home. So they're actually in the environment more. Yep. Um, that's kind of the way we've always done it is we want people to actually step foot into their landscapes into, you know, and, and become part of it. And so it's really benefited us because that's how we've always done it. But I think now because people are kind of not forced necessarily, but more paying more attention has worked out really well for, for, absolutely. And so for those of those of the listeners who are listening for the first time and and just kind of joining us and kind of understanding what's happening here is actually Ryan is the owner of Dig It Gardens, which is a local um, garden here that sells uh, planting. And now we're actually doing a podcast with your design team, which is myself and Ryan here. Um, I just want to kind of get to how this came to be. And I know that we talked last time with uh, the last uh, episode with you, uh, Ryan, about what your expansion ideas were and where you wanted to extend yourself into the environment and into the community as well. Uh, Can you give us a little bit of how the first inklings of the design side came into be and then how you kind of approached, you know, building this design piece of your business into a full-fledged, you know, kind of moving motion that it is in right now? I mean, for sure, which most people don't know, I mean, if people are aware of Digging Gardens, I think that they would assume that that became, was the first part of the, the puzzle and then Digging Design or the design arm came behind it. But in actuality, Brian and I have been working together you know, what, 12 years? Yeah. Um, you know, thanks to LinkedIn, you get a reminder like, hey, make sure to hit up Brian Harris because you, you know, he's been working. But it's kind of crazy. Like, we've been working together in, in, in that capacity for 12 years. And, and so, and really what happened for me, um, I, I don't, I'm not classically trained. I, I don't have a college degree. Like, my, my whole career has just been basically like, I can work harder than most people when the time comes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't have, I didn't go through that four years of college and kind of through that normal kind of traditional role to get to become a business owner, you know? Um, but what happened as I was working in the industry um, for, you know, a wholesale grower and I was selling product to directly to landscape architects and designers and contractors. Mm-hmm. And over and over again, I saw this complete disconnect between or just not even an understanding of the plants. And like, mm-hmm. that one really bothersome to me. I was like, how are you designing landscapes? How are you installing landscapes? How are you communicating to clients about landscapes when you do not know the plant material? Or you're making the, in my opinion, was always like, that plant doesn't make sense in that area. You know, I was constantly having, and so it was one of those things early, early on, maybe 15 years ago, I noticed that there was like a lot of that going on in, 
you know, and I didn't know if that's specific to Phoenix or, you know, if it was like something that happens everywhere. But I noticed in our market, it seemed like there was a lot of people coming in to buy plants mm-hmm. that were licensed contractors or, you know, professional designers that really had a complete lack of understanding of the plant palette they should, should be utilizing, the importance of why that is. And so through the course of going, you know, and realizing that at the same time, I would have people that would come in and hand us a set of drawings and basically say, hey, can you gather up all this plant material? Well, Brian was one of those people. He came into the office and had this beautifully hand-rendered concept and was like, hey, I'm looking for this plant material. And I'm telling you, Jose, like, at that point in time, this was right around when the housing was going on. I mean, I saw a lot of landscape design, both hand-rendered CAD documents, full-on commercial, like, city sets, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and his stuck out hands down above any concept I'd seen. And again, not being a classically trained designer or landscape architect, I just saw the, the colors and the composition. It was like, this is different than the shit that I'd seen you know, previously. So nice. I told my office manager, like, hey, where did this come from? Oh, this, this guy came in. He's got this wild style bandanas, mustache, like whatever. I'm like, okay, so kind of that's how this whole thing really like the seed, pun intended, was planted is he came in looking for plants. I recognize like, whoa, this is a different aesthetic and it seems to be a much more artistic approach to landscape design. And we just kind of hit it off. Like he needed something, hooking, like try to find plant material and it kind of segued into eventually he ended up working for me at this nursery um, all the while still doing some design work. And, and it really helped him because now he had another like another perspective of the industry and we've just kind of grown it from there and that was 12 years ago mm-hmm. um so i always say to people like we've gone it's definitely been the slow burn for us to get to where we are now where we kind of are almost all word of mouth um you know uh, it, it really has been a long time to get here but we've definitely like um it's always been about the plants and, and yeah. what makes sense you know um to the ecology or horticulturally or, you know, as the climate changes, how do we adjust according to that? So, um, yeah, so that's how we've gotten here. Just- For sure. So Brian, I, I'm now going to shift my, my conversation to you and just kind of, if people could see you right now, he has uh, a beautiful mustache. So I imagine fi- like 15 years ago, this wasn't even there when you met this guy. What made you just kind of say yes to Ryan here? And what made you kind of fall into, you know, the love of landscape too, as well? Well, I, I think Ryan understood that, you know, I was trying to create something new and unique and you know, we both have a history, you know, a background in graffiti and understanding hip hop and the elements that are composed inside that subculture. Mm-hmm. So I tried to kind of reverb off of that. And I always tried to, you know, add a little bit of flair, force fields around my, my trees, just make them pop a little extra. Um, so also, you know, he, he understood that, like, you know, my concepts weren't just a drawing. They were more of like trying to create a lyrical landscape. Um, poetry in motion in the plant world and also like using the plants as almost notes to create a a song in the landscape that people can hear as it grows and it gets better cadence wise as it as it transforms so um, and also he was always down to like find these obscure and more rare plants for me like whether I was in a marigold phase or a blue phase or a turquoise phase depending on my conceptual ideas he was always down to to find those products for me and, and, uh, help me create something that was, you know, true to, to my style. Sick. I love, I love it. And can you give us a little bit about like how you started out and where the love of the, the land came from? Started out when I was playing with He-Man on the shady part of my, <laughs> my house and, uh, in Phoenix when I was a youngster and I used to use the hose to carve out, like canyons and manipulate the the grading without knowing what drainage and grading was when I was a little guy and, you know, taking clippings of lantana and using them as like little trees and mm-hmm. just transforming the landscape um, when I was super young. Uh, and then, you know, having a design oriented mind, I went into architecture at first, but 
And I, I like to wear colors and everybody there was just all black and wearing glasses, like super defined. And I was just like, something's not right here. Like I'm more in tune with like wanting to have class outside and like be around plants. And yeah, so I, I switched to environmental design, landscape architecture. And, uh, you know, that, that uh, allowed me to get my degree here at ASU and uh, landscape architecture in, in 2005. That's awesome. I I graduated in 2013 with my master's. Um, I I was the same way. I was on the same boat and the same path. I was I grew up on the res. I definitely was someone who was like, okay, I like architecture. I like design. That's all I knew, and I was interested in that path. And then it came down to learning about landscape, and I was like, whoa, this is so much more up my alley, and this is something that I'm more in tune with. And I understood a little bit more just from farming from a little kid with my grandfather, um, you know, things like that, where it's like, I love plants a lot more than I love this, you know, rigid architecture, black and white sort of thing. And I'm just like, you know what, I got to switch. So I switched up and I never looked back. I love doing what I do. And this is something that I think that I've been really good at and something that I've, you know, just really enjoyed doing on a daily basis in day in and day out. It doesn't feel like work. It feels like something that I am passionate about, something that I, you know, can lose myself in, like get lost in. So I mean, it was definitely that same path as you. And um, I, I think that something that we've, kind of all kind of come around is that we're both we're all just kind of nerds about you know the the planting and the the plant life and so uh I want to know from each of your perspective where how much you know from learning from the land how much have you kind of taken away from it like you know how much have you gained from just being around it and being in it day in and day out. I know from Ryan's perspective, I mean, you literally have to see it grow from point A to point C. Like you are seeing it from seedlings to all the way to full grown. And then Brian, yourself, like how do you, you know, what have you learned just from your time with with Ryan, you know, being at his, his workplace and what you've kind of done throughout your different projects? What have you each taken away from um, this time with learning about planting and learning about yourselves? Um, I mean, for me, it, it, it's always been kind of um, wanting to do, I guess, what I guess you could say, like wanting to do the right thing when talking to people about like what plants they should put in their yard. Like if they come into the garden center and somebody asks a question, like I want to be able to impart um, some knowledge that mm -hmm. when they go home, and they plant something that they have success and that makes them feel proud of the fact that they nurtured this living thing. Mm -hmm. um, obviously that's a good business practice as well if you own a garden center, you know, like if you're giving people the right advice and then things are successful and things thrive, they, they come back. But, um, you know, for Brian and I both, you know, we took, I know like this last summer, it really kind of put an emphasis on what, what as a garden center and as a design company, what we've come to as, as not something intentional, because when we opened Diggit Gardens, like Brian was very much like establishing his style um, in terms of the hardscape of the, the, that, that component of the design. Like he has a very like complementary style to the desert Southwest in terms of the rusting of the steel and, and the, patina and the masonry work and kind of the, the color of the granite choice you know, he uses. But um, it really wasn't until the last five years with Digit being open that we really kind of said, hey, we're only going to use this plant palette and we're not going to go too far outside of that, right? Um, and we didn't, in, in, in saying that, it was more uh, our appreciation for the plants um, and, and, and having success in our own, in our own houses and our own gardens. But then also knowing like, hey, we're, we're being like very forthright in what we're encouraging people to put into their landscapes. Because mm -hmm. um, it's not just benefiting them, it's benefiting the ecology as a whole. If we're all doing things to plant things that are encouraging, you know, native pollinators and, you know, all, all of the things that everyone talks about. Um, and, and so we really 
at the same time, we were doing that as a design company, and, and Brian was really narrowing in and dialing in his plant palette. Uh, the garden center really dialed in what we were offering. Um, yeah. Like we no longer offer annual color, like annual flowers. We see yeah. it as a waste of resources. Um, it's it's something that is it is not a sustainable practice at, at all. Um, and so we've eliminated that. Um, we really push back against clients who say they want like turf. You know, I want grass, um, real grass, you know, not artificial turf. And we're like, that that really isn't something that, that we we jive with. You know, we, it kind of goes against everything we we want to do. Um, and then after this last summer with a record number of days over 110, and both of our own landscapes standing out and seeing what survived that, we're like, hey, we're on the right path here because you know we saw that around town things were stressing and and they were there were plants that had been identified as zero, you know, zero fights or or um, you know drought tolerant and, and able to withstand the, the climate, but reality is a lot of them can't. Not not without a lot of nurturing and bathing. And and for me, I I use the the term I say it to people all the time, do, do you want your plants to survive or do you want them to thrive? Those are two totally different things. Yeah. Um, so we learned to appreciate more so like the native Arizona plant palette. And the best part about all of this is in narrowing down a plant palette, we now are able to almost 100% source our material like locally, not, not regionally, but hyper locally, like from Phoenix, you know, yeah. maybe from Tucson. Um, and we weren't able to necessarily do that all the time before because it was stuff, we, you know, maybe went into a design like shit, we got to order from California. So that makes me feel good inside. You know what I mean? To know like, I'm not just saying, oh, buy local. Like we, we do it at every, every order, every job, you know, we're, we're supporting yeah. businesses. So, um, so that's, that to me is like as a person and as like a company, it makes me feel good to know like we are truly talking to talk when it comes to like, keeping our money here, you know, and supporting yeah. the that support us. So for sure. And Brian, do you see yourself learning daily from the planting that you do with work and with um kind of in your own home? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean I think what really attracted me to the Sonoran Desert uh plant lies is just, you know, kind of the Dr. Seuss esque varieties that we're allowed to use here. And um really try to cater to that style and that vibe that we get here naturally. But, you know, also it, it allows us to, you know, understand the plants more, but there's also more to just like planting the right plant. I mean, there's microclimates, there's soil structure, and we're coming up with a new plan for, you know, next summer to have more plants thrive and um, deal with different uh, back filling certain cactus mixed soils, just because, you know, you don't want to have a plant, that's being watered more kind of boil in, mm. in its little new home, especially coming from the nursery environment, you need to really understand that shot comes into play. So <clears throat> it's understanding that like what we do is, it's pretty difficult to a, to a sense because it's one of the only trades that deals with living material. Yep. So it's not like you're a carpenter building a, a shelving unit that's going to stay up for, for years. Like you need to, really be on your on your best game when you're dealing with living materials so um but also you know not trying to um i kind of blur the lines and not not trying to you know you still want to have a really unique and beautiful space but not um you know take away from that integrity yeah i think one of the things that um i always found interesting is that this career or whatever we're doing like it's just it's it's kind of uh there is a cycle to it there is things that you need to be doing every few months and one of the things that i kind of want to get into right now is we're in november so what are you guys doing at, at dig it gardens right now for the planting what do you got what series of things are you guys doing or what's growing um efficiently right now and then to to Brian, what have you been doing for, I guess, research or what are plants that are living right now that you kind of highlight in your design work? Um, this is like a different season. Uh, a lot of people want to understand, you know, what should I be doing as a homeowner or someone who has some uh, planting that wants to either be caretaking wise? What are the things that we should be looking out for? I mean, I could tell you yesterday, I was on a consult with this wonderful lady, Regina, 
Um, she, without naming names, had gone to say, let's say there's five pretty well-established, prominent nurseries in the Valley. She'd gone to three of them before she got to dig it. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian met her actually just happenstance. Like she came in, the way we have it set up is we do consults, right? We go to your house and basically we're getting an idea of like who you are as a client, potential client, what are your existing conditions? What, what, do you, what are constraints and opportunities? And oftentimes we don't meet the client for the first time until we go out to their house. Like everything is done online. Well, Regina just happened to come into the shop and Brian, of course, just, you know, being there was like, Hey, you know, how's it going? And, and she had a little binder, which is sometimes always like, Oh crap, this, this client, this huge binder. <laughs> you, never know. you never know if it's a bunch of ideas or whatever, but what it was, was yeah. she had a binder and she had her landscaping designed and installed and it was a complete failure. Um, a failure, not just in what was planted, but also in terms of the, um, the, the contractor themselves and, and their integrity. Mm -hmm. And so, and then she had gone to other nurseries in an attempt to remedy what mistakes were made by the landscaper. And she found out real quickly that she would go to one nursery and get an answer and then go to another one and get a completely different answer. Mm -hmm. uh, and she kind of said, Brian, and Brian's like, oh, well, you have a consult actually with her in a couple of days. And I asked her, you know, she said, well, I just wanted to meet you because, you know, I've had such bad luck and I wanted to make sure it was a good fit. And she was, the, you know, the perfect example of somebody who I'm sure the people that she's talking to at these nurseries are well-intentioned, mm -hmm. but they don't take it as serious as we do when it comes to understanding what your point is like how the seasons change and how things have changed. So when she tells me that she talked to somebody and they told her that she needs to get stuff in the ground as soon as possible, because there could be a potential freeze. Well, that's what I used to tell people 20 years ago when I first started out, because we would actually get freezes. Mm -hmm. We don't tell people that anymore. We, we, we tell people like, do you want to have frost cloth on standby just in case we get one or two nights? Absolutely. Yeah. But we're not telling people not to plant because our winters are going to be severe. That just not, doesn't happen. And that's where Brian and I, in the last 12 years, the way the climate has shifted and, and how our seasons have basically gone from, you know, having four seasons, you know, sort of in the Valley. Um, we've gone to like what seems to me, to be just two seasons. We basically yep. have a really long kind of fall segue into spring, no winter. So call it a long fall or an early spring and then a summer. Mm -hmm. um, that, that really just means that you have essentially from September, October, all the way through till maybe March or April to plant. That's, that's a good window. Yeah. And then you really want to avoid putting stuff in the ground in July. So one of the things at the garden center, one of the things we, we, when we're communicating to clients on the design side is some of these old ways of doing things or some of the old, old kind of old school nursery practices, like those things no longer apply. Yeah. And one of the things that we, like Brian touched on is what's really becoming evident to us in the success of our landscapes and, and as they mature to really thrive is understanding how different the soil is and all the different, like different plants and what their requirements are. Um, to make sure they acclimate to get ready for this ridiculously hot summer. And so, you know, it's not as much about the seasonality anymore as about making sure that are the plants given the best scenario when getting planted, mm. going full well, it's going to be 120 for one day, two days, 115 for five days in a row. Um, yeah. You know, that's the thing. So for us, it's more like in terms of the seasons and when is the best time to plant certain plant material. Really for us, it's like, don't plant anything between July and the end of August. Yeah. But after that, you want to plant stuff. It's like, not necessarily, you know, are you planting something because it's the blooming season? Well, I see things bloom that are traditional springtime bloomers that are blooming right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's all out the window, you know, and I think that's a testament to how amazing plants are at acclimating and adapting to their environment, considering they cannot get up and move. They mm -hmm. don't have legs. Yeah. But you see things blooming and you're like, holy crap, I've never seen one of those bloom in November. Yeah. But, like, but I just, we just finished the, uh, uh, the Sneller residence, wonderful couple, planted a San Marcos hibiscus. I go over there to do the final walkthrough and it's like, 
there's two blossoms on it. I'm like, this is, it is November. Yeah. And this plant that I've never seen bloom outside of like maybe the month of March and April is like set in, in full bloom. And, and nice. Just, again, that has to do with like, it was 99 degrees. 99 degrees, the plant's like, cool. Now's the time to soak this sun up. And yeah. You know, and like, like hopefully a pollinator or two stops by and like, you know, helps me out. But, but yeah, so that's the thing. We, we've, we've adapted to it. Um, we've continually asked questions. We've partnered with soil, you know, bio, like biologists, soil scientists, people that have really helped us in, in, in getting an understanding of like, you know, you put something in the ground here, what happens like, you know, mm-hmm. on the, on the soil level. And so that's really like, we're, that's the thing we're trying to really impart on people is like, you know, obviously put the plants in the right locations, right sun exposure, you know, but more importantly, make sure that the soil conditions are, are correct for that plant in a variety. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's one thing that we've in the last five years of owning a garden center has taught us about going into our design side is like the importance of that. Whereas before it was like, you dig a hole so big, you backfill a little bit and you know, you got your drip irrigation or your hand watering or whatever the case is. And you just water more when it's hot. You don't water as much when it's cool. And that was kind of it. Whereas now we're like, oh man, like these agaves need to have a lot more pumice, you know, mixed in where these aloes, you can't even plant them. You have to plant them in raised planters because if you plant them in the ground and it rains, like it, they will rot and they will die. Yeah. And yeah. that's all just come from, you know, just understanding and really paying attention to how the climate's changed in the last, you know, 10 years. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely more about that than it is about mm-hmm. now's the best time to plant this, you know, um, that kind of is out the window, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yes. It, you know, um, yeah. Well, for uh, me, it's like, you know, it, to touch upon that too, like certain plants also like penstemon, for instance, you don't want to put a drip emitter right next to the root system. Like you want to put them like six to eight inches away. Um, cause they don't like to have wet feet. They like to search for that water and, Certain plants like to have wet feet, like more succulent varieties, but you still need to have really good drainage and check that because they're used to sitting in a bucket where, yeah, they get moisture, but they're not soaked and saturated. So sure. um, you have to find that fine line between too much water and too little, especially when it's 115 plus. Yeah. But um, to also talk about like plant varieties and um, especially now that we're getting into our, you know, so-called winter season. Um, you know, we're just lucky to have vendors that give us lists, um, you know, props to Mountain States and Savannah, especially. They, they let us know when certain things are flowering, uh, you know, Desert Tree Farm as well. Like, uh, and, you know, what's retail quality, um, what's really popping, you know, the winners of the week. Um, so that really helps me, especially when I'm working on designs to know, you know, when I can give the client that kind of instant impact. And also, you know, aloes are going to be starting to flower wintertime. And just knowing that uh, we have multiple opportunities to, to have something flowering all year long. Yeah. Um, and it's really trying to have that instant gratification and something bringing a, a colorful vibe all year round. That's always my goal. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, that I, I love how you guys approach the whole thing, because as I was listening to you guys, there's a lot of things that I'm still like, I got to learn still, you know, the pensament for sure. Like, you know, those little nuances where you were as an owner too, like as a owner of a house, you know, you want to recognize those sort of little details where it's like, oh, if I'm having these types of plants in the raised planter, I know that I got to you know, at least pay attention because they need such and such water that I should probably pay a little bit more attention to the ones that probably don't need as much. And I can let those guys just deal and let them live their life. I, I, I'm still learning those little nuances, like the microclimate stuff that I would love to learn a little bit more on too. It's like, there's so many nuances here and there, especially with, you know, urban heat island, um, some other aspects like um, diseases for some of the trees. Uh, are you guys educating yourselves on those types of things when they come around? Or are you guys learning about those diseases and learning about those little tidbits from uh, mountain states? Or are you learning them firsthand? I mean, what we do is, um, <clears throat> We know what we're good at and we know when we get to a point where we need to 
lean on somebody else. So anything yeah. that has to do with tree health, uh, pathology, um, we turn to IAS Labs, which is a local company. And okay. um, they would come out and do soil, foliage, and tissue samples mm -hmm. and give us a very, like, um, from a very like scientific analytical point of view, like here's here's all your issues. Typically, it's nutrient deficiencies. Mm -hmm. um, this is what you need to do to remedy it. Or sometimes this is like you're dealing with a pathogen where there is no way to cure the tree, mm -hmm. um, and the tree will do this, this, and this over the course of the next few years, and eventually it'll succumb to you know whatever the disease may be. Um, you know, so when it comes to that, we, we we know where where we begin and end, and so we know like oh, this isn't a a matter of like putting some nitrogen down or increasing phosphorus. This is a matter of like, we need to have like the pros come out and have scientists look at this, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and one of the things as an owner uh, that, I, that I really enjoy about like Digit Design and what it's become is, um, and, and this is the way Brian and I have always operated is that, um, you know, I see it as like Brian, it has a very like a good sense of the like I feel autonomy when it comes to the, the, the company. So he kind of has his own design company within the company mm -hmm. because and it's one thing, you know, I don't know if the listeners were aware of this, but but you, you know, as as you know, we reached out to you to help us with some 3D renderings and um and you going through and be you know, getting your masters. Um you know if you as you hopefully come and 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 kind of collaborate with us on projects, one of the things I really want is um, and Brian does this better than anyone is I don't just want the designer to design the project and then pass it off to the contractor and say, Hey, contractor, go find all the material. Right. Mm -hmm. I want, if you're a designer with Digit design, I want you to understand you're a designer, project manager. Um, uh, uh, you're the guy who plays whack-a-mole. You know what I mean? When there's issues, like you put out the fires, yep. um, because I think that makes you a, a more well-rounded designer. And, mm -hmm. and if you, if you have those skills and you leave and want to go to a design firm, there would be no reason why they wouldn't hire you. Cause you're not just walking in like, Hey, I, I you know, I, I, I can do this. I'm technically gifted. I can do CAD work. Um, sorry about that. Um, you, you can go to them and say, Hey, not only that, I know all the suppliers. I know, I, you know, I know who we get things from. I know and like that, that to me is, is oftentimes when I've, talked with other landscape architects that are just working in the traditional, you know, firm studio yeah. environment. Um, they've never put a shovel into the ground, right? Like they've never repaired a valve. They've never set a controller. They don't even know that like ratio controllers, what are those? Like these are, you know what I mean? There's stuff that they don't know. Yeah. And, and for me, like you can't work for Digit Design if you're not willing to set all your own plants and drive to nurseries and pick up your material and get to know your vendors. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, like that's one of the things I think, you know, Emma Salzi, who works for us, she's getting her master's at ASU. Um, <clears throat> one of the things she really enjoys is that she gets to do that. Like she gets to go to a nursery and like tag her plant material. Yeah. And then she gets to go to the site and put everything where it's going to go. And then <clears throat> maybe take a step back and be like, oh man, I really thought like that shrub, agave grass combo was going to work there. But I don't need the grass, you know, and, I, and instead I need to move this boulder in position differently. And, you know, yeah. and, and, and again, one of the things that we, we really pride ourselves on is like the, the labor side of our business and the guys we work with, we've worked with these, these men for a long time. Um, they have our backs, you know, and, and, and we really like appreciate and value that where I think a lot of people in the, especially on the construction side of this industry, they don't value the labor, right? They're, they're okay with turnover. They're okay with just like, hey, you're a dime a dozen. You know what I mean? Like if you, I can find another guy to stick plants in the ground. I can find another guy to put papers in. Um, whereas us, we're like, no, we want to make sure. Because Brian can attest to this more than anyone. He wants his designs implemented in a certain way. Yep. That, that's it. Like there's no, like you ain't, you're not cutting corners. We're not, this is how, like I want these two angles to come together. I want these two lines to match. I want you know and, and that that's to me like as a design company it, i really enjoy that it's like we all kind of do our own thing and then every once in a while there'll be a design that needs to be a collaborative effort but it is i think one of the things that separates us in, in our interactions with clients is like you deal with brian on the design and then he's at your house you know and he's like 
they are setting plants and like guiding the guy and you know making sure everything's going like he said it's kind of like uh, you know it's like you're building a composition and yeah. the composer is there the whole time um yeah i really like they take a lot of pride in that as a company that we do that and mm -hmm. that i trust everyone to go ahead and run with it like what's your design aesthetic you know what i mean like i'm yeah. not gonna step on that you know like i yeah. i might do once in a while brian will call me and say hey i got a horticultural like question but for the most part it's like you know off and running you know what i mean um do your thing and and yeah. if you were to take that same client and hand it to me i'd probably do something totally different but at the end it's all coming from the same place so yeah um, yeah I, I, I love how you approach it too, because you are also the conductor of the conductors. You have this way of, you're not babying everyone, you're not babysitting everybody, but you're allowing them to grow and conduct their work in, in the fashion that they want to do it on top of making just sure that there, there's a, a level of pride in there. There's a level of, um, you know, trust between you and your designers and then you and your construction workers. I mean, you, you know, there's a, there's so much that people don't recognize that when it comes to these designs that, you know, we, we are, we are a team of individuals that, you know, we, we take pride in what we do. And I'll be the first one to say, I, you know, I had to work. You've, you've heard my story. I've worked on my own house and, and that's the one thing that I take pride in is uh, everything that I've planted, I've planted, like I, I put in my, you know, irrigation I've put in, like I've put in the hard work because to me, no one's going to make it more beautiful than me. No one's going to take the pride in, the the my own home than I am and right. that that's what I've learned from my father it's what I've learned from my grandfather and that's something that I hope to take with me for a very long time because I think that that is something that a lot of people either you know some people are not about it but you know I think that that's something that makes us great as designers is taking that pride in and in and having that level of I want to see it all the way through and I want to see it come to life and if you know you're, if you're in, if you're hands on with the construction component of the project, mm -hmm. like you're not just the designer, well, then that helps you in terms of your actual concept because you, you're working with the client, right? And they have a budget. Well, as a designer, you know, like this is what I'm working with. So there may be some materials that you don't implement because yeah. it's not going to work for the budget. But yeah. if you're strictly working from a design standpoint and you're not, part of the construction phase, then, you know, you, you might run into problems where you made this beautiful design, but the client cannot afford it as, as designed. And then they've got to start making adjustments and those adjustments, they're probably cutting corners in some of the more critical components of the design. And then yeah. like, that never ends well, you know, like yeah. that's what we've learned is we can't compromise, you know, um, it, it, it's more about, and we're, Fortunate enough, we're, we're getting closer to where people come to us and they kind of just are like, do your thing, mm -hmm. right? And so that's really opened us up to, we don't have as much pushback as, you know, it's getting better and better for us where somebody's like, oh, I talked to so-and-so and they referred and then we, they already kind of know what they're getting. Well, we're going to say, hey, what did you hire us to do, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you hired us <laughs> to take this like 50 years of combined experience and and put it to put it to good use um and yeah it's really like it's it's as things have gone on we really are gaining that trust of, of our clients yeah. you know so so let me ask you this brian i'm i'm kind of curious as far as your your own backyard and kind of how you go about your own gardening are you do you have like a dedicated area where you're growing seedlings and stuff like that or do you have like a planting area that you kind of call your science center or like where you're experimenting a little and on top of which i just want to say this because i'm excited about it uh prop 207 just passed meaning that uh, legal marijuana is going to be the next thing that grows in my, in my backyard, for sure. I know that. I don't know about you, but I just know that like this, there's a level of like excitement for me because it's a new plant. It's a new, it's a new arsenal or something that people either enjoy doing as a, 
as a way to like garden in their own home, but also participate in that level of like, you know, there's this new plant that's coming into town. What do you think about it? So I'm going to leave it at that and let you go from there. Yeah. So it's pretty cool that it passed because I mean, I think marijuana is a great plant and very beneficial in more ways than one. And versatile, um, very, very versatile. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and you can smoke a bunch of weed and you're not going to overdose on that shit. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, my, my yard has transformed from, um, you know, I broke a bunch of concrete pieces up and used them as an urbanite pathway. Um, I finally got to really go all out and ended up blowing the budget. And uh, my lady was like, um, so you do this for a living? Like, how did you not understand that we had a certain amount of budget? I was like, well, you know, we had to just go all out and I had the guys here and we had, we had to do it proper. So, you know, I, I went out with, I, I live on Terrace Road and so I have the only terracing yard on Terrace Road of Gabion basket planters. And nice. uh, in the backyard, it's a bunch of boulder vignettes and Ocotillo fencing for an outdoor little bathtub area. Um, I got some yellow bells and orange jubilees and crimson flare, just every Tacoma variety. Uh, blocking where my shed is, but, um, you know, I have some raised stock tanks to like grow veggies and herbs. So that's kind of like a experimental area. But for me, it's like, yeah, I'm just popping plants or pups that I get from projects and seeing what thrives in certain areas. And I have a real shady zone where I'm trying to have it be like more of a, a cool blue area, mm -hmm. uh, with like gopher plants and some dichondra, the silver okay. falls and, um, you know, just more of a, just really trying to pinpoint microclimates that still get filtered light and reflected heat. But um, yeah, and just trying to have like sharp sculptural with soft and wispy. I like to pair grasses with agaves and just a variety of color and texture. So over the years, I've definitely experimented in my own yard. Yeah. Um, I don't have like a seed propagation zone because my, uh, my boxer Carl would not let that happen for sure. Uh, he, he definitely goes crazy. I mean, he brought in a barrel cactus a couple months ago and he was using it like a baseball. So nice. Uh, he's not afraid of spiny plants, but I got to be cognizant of uh, his, uh, I don't give a shit hip hop attitude, I guess. You could say. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And there's no like, so here's where I kind of run. And sometimes I get a little overboard myself is I actually, um, kind of have my allergies that I, you know, there's certain plants that I have to stay away from, uh, particularly, uh, is there any like plants that you kind of steer away from, especially for health benefits or anything like that? Are you suffering from allergies at all? I, I don't have allergies luckily. Um, but I guess for me and in, in a lot of my designs, I try to steer clear of like the, you know, kind of the, the willy nilly that you see. I mean, I, I would love to replace every single oleander hedge with native hop seed. Me too. Tacomas, um, just really go go with more native or drought tolerant desert adapted varieties. I mean, I'm, I had a client the other day. She has this beautiful backdrop of these probably forty year old fence post cactus clumps, and she was wondering if she should do do an oleander backdrop. And I was just like, "There's no way that's happening." No. So we're, we can go another route, like. Uh, if you want to, but no, I was yeah. just like, you need to accentuate the positive and do some little boulder vignettes and outcroppings and, you know, fill in that understory. Yeah. You know, you know what the one thing for, so when I was do redoing the backyard and I had an oleander back there and I was like, oh, it's just this little thing. Like I can easily get rid of it and it'll take me a day. Oh man, I started digging. I started digging and yeah. dug and I dug and I dug and that thing I swear to God, that was like six, it was so gnarly in the ground and I could not for the life of me get all of the root. I had to give up at one point just because it was just so bad of like a root that was just down there so deep. And I was yeah, just like, I, 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 yeah, I'm like taking a pickaxe to it. I'm just like, ah, help me. And so, so yeah, I definitely am not a fan of the oleanders just because of the, the gnarliness of the roots and just being able to like, if you wanted it gone, it's, it's going to be real hassle. 
I mean, and it's poisonous. It's yeah, to, you know, to your dogs and to your cockroaches like to nest in them. Rats like to nest in them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I try to, I don't like to hate any plants because they're just doing their thing, but I just choose to let them be in other mm-hmm. designs and yeah. other people's properties. Yeah. And it's uh, interesting, like how I, I think because it was like Phoenix, you know, and as, as population grew and um, people were bringing uh, one of the cool things about, especially if we both live in Tempe, uh, Phoenix, areas that are more established, um, you see this like total diverse street to street, house to house palette of plants. Mm-hmm. And that's just a testament to the people who were initially, a lot of times you could tell like certain areas, you know, there was like what time frame those houses were built. Like if yeah. you see a bunch of trees, palm trees on a street, you know, that was like early 60s, you know, that those, that development went down. And then you go to another area, you see a bunch of eucalyptus, you're like, oh shit, those houses were built like late 70s, early 80s. I mean, you get a good sense of like yep. initially when those, but as time went on, people moved to Arizona. You know, everyone knows it's a very transient state. People came here. Mm-hmm. So people are just bringing plants like they're familiar with, you know, and maybe they brought them with them. Maybe they happened to find them at a nursery. And it's just interesting to me how they're the ones that hung on were like the oleanders, um, Ruslancia, the African sumacs. Like some of these plants that have no business being be here, yeah. Here, they don't offer the. They don't. They're not a. They're not an improvement to the overall ecology of the land, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's not like there's a bunch of beneficial pollinators that that the oleanders are, are working, you know, symbiotically with. And so it's cool that now, and thankfully you have like mountain states and these nurseries that have really done yeah. a really good job of of growing and cultivating and developing varieties, but. Yeah, if, if every oleander in town was replaced with a Tacoma variety or a Dodonea hop seed, um, what would the benefit be to the local fauna? I mean, who, who knows, you know, um, yeah. just the sheer volume of that. So it's like, that's another thing is, you know, uh, more and more I see new landscapes going in and, and at least we're seeing the, the kind of cookie cutter plants. Um, increasingly, they're more appropriate native varieties whether the contractors even realize that that's what's happening it's just Mm -hmm. that's the stuff that can withstand our summers now yep Um, whereas before 20 30 years ago you know you could go to california you had a gardenia or a jasmine or an only whatever you stuck it in the ground and it would live and it's like okay cool but now you you can't get away with that stuff yeah Um, so you know but it is like the oleanders are the one that i just they, they seem to be able to take anything that you can throw at them um, and they're just not going away. Yeah. Uh, you know, like at the garden center, our neighbors have a giant hedge of white oleanders, you know, 20 feet tall. I'm glad it's not on our side of the property, but I do have to give it some crops and it, it yeah. provides this just huge white flowering backdrop yeah. to, to our property. Um, but if I was the one who had to maintain those, that then I wouldn't have the same, <laughs> I wouldn't have the same, uh, you know, affinity for them, but I don't yeah. have to. So I'm like, cool. You stay over there. You know, <laughs> I'll enjoy it from here. <laughs> I appreciate you. I love you, but I'm, I don't want to have to deal with you. And that's why we would never do that to a client. You know, we would never yeah. put something in the yard. And then 10 years down the road, they're like, oh, this has gotten a little big for the space, but it ain't coming out. It's there, you know? Um, so, yeah. Well, so let's have some fun right now because we're reaching, we're reaching, you know, towards the ending here. And um, I want to kind of just play around with some stuff with you guys is uh, give me your top tree that you guys love planting. Go. Uh, Eucalyptus Papuana. <laughs> oh, dude. Eucalyptus Cruciana. Uh, that's a new <laughs> oh, one. I saw a bunch of those. Yeah, I bought a bunch of it. I can't, I have one in my backyard. We put one at a client's house. Uh, props to Kristen April. But yeah, we put one in her house and I just did like, that tree is completely growing me and my wife from Chicago, downtown girl proper. Yeah. That's the favorite tree. And she like really was blown away the first time she saw one. So it's like, nice. that, that also is kind of, but yeah, both it's funny. We both said you can All right. And <laughs> then, uh, but native, I'm, I'm Palo Brea. Yeah. Yeah. I have, Brea. Three, I have three of them in my front yard. Yeah. Palo Brea is for a native tree. The way to go. Dude, so, I had- I had to, uh, I have just a mesquite, like three mesquites and then uh, a bottle bush, the bottle bush tree that like they, 
it was there when I moved in, so I couldn't do anything about it. It's like giant right now. But any, uh, let me get your most loved succulent. She can go first this time. Oh, that's so tough. Oh man, because I don't know if everyone knows this, but all cacti are succulents. So oh, not yeah. all succulents are cacti. So you really exactly. just threw out a doozy. And I'm like looking out Brian's window. There's like 14 cactus <laughs> varieties. I'm like, shit, I like all those too. Um, no, I think it, probably mammalarias um, as like a, a genus. Uh, I think they're just so interesting in that they're like these little white, you know, globular form, uh, and they get this perfectly round ring of flowers. And yeah. they're just they they are another one that didn't cease to amaze me as we got hotter and it was 110 degrees, like. Some of those mammalarias, if, it's, if it's, you know, just getting blasted with the sun, I mean, there's a little cactus just hanging out and like, doing their thing. So, yeah, uh, probably those as far as the cactus recycling goes. I mean, for me, it would be the the Lutenbergia cactus, the the blue cactus. It's, it almost looks like a little crown, um, and it has yellow thorns. And yeah, if you if you look that one up, it looks like a cactus and agave, Hesperalo. Like five nice. plants all got together and just like made a baby plant. So. Yeah, but they're so compact and like you can't find them. I have one at my house and it's, yeah, it's one of my favorites for sure. Nice. All right, guys. I mean, you guys have made this a lot of fun. And so I appreciate you guys doing this with me. Um, I'm very excited for the future about what's going to happen with you guys. I have no doubt that this is going to be something that, I think if as a community member and as a community person that loves, you know, buying local, being local, I know that I've always leaned on Diggit Gardens for my planting. Um, but, you know, hopefully I can just just say, hey, look out for these guys. These guys are designing the best planting in the valley here. And so I'm going to kick it to Ryan to kind of give us where we can, you know, if, if a client new client wanted to come in, where can they find you and how can they go about doing all the things that it is looking you up? Um, if you, obviously we have our physical like retail location, which is 3015 North 16th street. Uh, that's in between Thomas and Osborne on 16th street. Um, you can go on our website, bigphx.com. There's a design studio tab. It's basically a form submission. Um, you know, all of that, you'll, you'll get to interact with our lovely coordinator, Paloma, she, you know, uh, and, and, you know, one of the things when I reached out to you and you talked about doing this podcast was, I really want people to understand, like, you know, Digit Gardens is, is its own entity and Digit Design is very much, you know, uh, it's, it's its own entity. And although we overlap a lot of times, um, it, they're very much different in terms of kind of the, you know, um, uh, the people that would work at the garden center maybe would be a different, you know, like it's two different cultures, but they overlap. Um, but that was the thing that I really wanted to kind of get the word out there. That like, you know, the garden center, it holds its own and has been recognized accordingly, but like as a design company, we really feel like, you know, we've come into our own and, and, you know, um, a lot of the credit goes to dig at gardens, but reality is like, it, it really should be, focus more on towards Brian because he's the one who's been our sole designer and handling all the, doing the heavy lifting without which we wouldn't be able to like have Emma come on board, reach out to you to, to, you know, give an assist on doing some 3d work and hopefully continue to collaborate. So that was the thing that I really wanted to showcase. Like, you know, if you see a design, dig a design, like, you know, that's done in the last five years, like that's Brian, you know? Um, yeah. And if you live in the Coronado neighborhood or you're familiar with that neighborhood, like, Ryan's got his legit footprint, you know, like fingers everywhere. Oh, dude, it's like every every other block or every street, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, and that's you know, testament to the community where in which we we have our business and the people and how they support us. But um, yeah, just to really hype up that, you know, Digit Design is its own beast, um, you know, doing its own thing. Um, but still we love our sister, you know, uh <laughs> at Digit Gardens. But yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um Brian, any last words from you? Anything that you want to kind of shout out or just kind of want to leave on the table? You know, I'm just, uh, you know, thanks for getting me involved and thanks for collaborating on a lot of my projects. And, um, you know, I appreciate all your help. And hopefully my designs aren't too crazy to where you get <laughs> a little flustered. I know they're a little <laughs> intricate at times, but, uh, you know, I'm definitely trying to carve out my niche and 
And really, you know, I, I consider myself a Mother Earth embellisher because Mother Earth is the best landscape architect in my mind. So trying yep. to emulate her style in my my craft. And uh, it's it's really fulfilling to create something out of nothing that is timeless. So awesome. Thank you again. I appreciate I appreciate both of you and I really do I, I I mean it from the bottom of my heart. You guys are two guys that I'm inspired by. Not only that, but I very much value having in my life. And so I definitely enjoy my time working with you guys and just kind of hanging out and just being here with you right now. It's been really enlightening for me. And so I have no doubt that there are going to be some changes and big things coming down the road for not only dig it gardens but dig it designs and uh with that we end this podcast so let me do my thing ladies and gentlemen you can hear every episode of finding arizona podcast at our website finding arizonapodcast.com we make it easy for you guys to connect with us so all of our social media is under finding arizona podcast so tell us who you want to come in next last but not least if you want to become a super fan you can do so at patreon.com slash finding arizona podcast there are bonus content material over there for you to sign up for and with that we say goodbye to brian and ryan here uh good night everybody and thank you for listening